0: the late lunch
2: with Blackstone Motors, Drada, Dundalk and Check out the new sporty and spacious Renault Arcana in petrol and full hybrid. Guaranteed delivery, low APR finance and 48-hour test drive. Visit BlackstoneMotors.ie.
3: You're very welcome to Easter Week's Late Lunch on LMFM Radio. Great to have you with us on the show. Rain, I couldn't believe, just coming in there out The heavens have opened a cloudburst. I hope you weren't caught out in it. It's terrible to be caught in a shower like that when you're not prepared, isn't it? Especially when it's been relatively dry for a number of days. Anyway, weather forecast coming up after two, but it is to get milder as the week goes on. If you want to talk to us on the show today, don't forget the usual numbers. oh eight six eighteen hundred six five eight. By WhatsApp or text, get straight to me here in studio. We've got lots of chat to come over the next couple of hours, but we begin today talking energy. And my first guest has been with us recently, and we bring him back again today because he is an energy efficiency expert inside and outside of the home. I'm delighted to say hello again to Paul O'Reilly. Welcome back, Paul. Good
1: to hear from you again, Jerry.
3: And and you too. Now, before we get to the meat of the matter, because we're going to be talking about cars and transport and the whole electric context, I want to ask you something as a follow-up from the last day you were on, us, because you did recommend uh, getting a little monitor for the meter, the, the electricity meter coming into our homes, and you were fantastic about that. But I had a question from a listener that came in to me. And they said to me, the next time Paul's with you, would you ask him this? And it's interesting. You know these smart meters, Paul? Yes. yeah. Smart meters and the ordinary meter. They said, they asked me to ask you, they've got a smart meter fitted. Is there any need to monitor a smart meter or can that interrogate and you
1: interrogate it? Um, very good question. I mean, I suppose when the government was delivering those smart meters, it would have been very easy for them to give the consumer the same information that the small energy monitor provides. But the smart meters are kind of designed to feed the utility company with all of the information. So it is accessible, but not so easily, mm. um, which is a bit of a shame, because um, and one of the reasons that the, the I suppose the utility companies didn't provide a, smart, um, a monitor was because then the customer might have two meters, the smart meter, which is kind of the one you pay your bills on, and then this other one, which gives you an indication. So I suppose that's a very good question as the lady has, re- uh, uh, has asked, but... Um, the, the information is accessible from a smart meter, but it's not simple. You've got to apply to the smart meter company. You've got to, you know, ask for historic information, and then you've got to read the data as it displays immediately on the meter. And you'd nearly want to be, you know, an electronics engineer to do that. Okay. But the other items at you know fifty sixty euro are cheap and cheerful.
3: Okay. So you you still say get that monitor that you mentioned to me the last day fifty sixty euro and put it on regardless or not whether you have a smart or an
1: ordinary meter. Absolutely, and I think until a bit of pressure comes on government, that they start to download that information to the consumer, it's currently not available. Mm. Isn't it is a shame?
3: Isn't that a shame? Isn't that just? You know, it's typical Irish, in my opinion. It bates Banahar, when you think about that. The information is there, yet it's not being shared with the consumer. Come on, folks, we've got to get our act together on this one and do this, because this information is so, so Im- important. And when you mention the person who supplied the, the smart meter, you know the way, who supplies that, may I ask you? Because you have the different utility companies. Who supplied the meters, the smart meters?
1: Well, it can be supplied. but It can be kind of distributed through your own electricity, you know, company, whoever they are. But okay. it actually comes from from uh, ESB network. All right. Okay. And it's a government supply, and it's a kind of a government rollout package.
3: Okay. Okay. Let's move on to what you are expecting to talk to me uh, about today on the show. And I just read that over one. Oh, sorry, I beg your pardon. Over 10,000 new electric vehicles have been registered in Q1 22 here in Ireland. That's a combination of hybrid 24.5%, electric 12.5% and plug-in electric hyper, hybrid 756 So at last, Paul, there seems to be a take-up and a move towards this, I'm sure, pushed by the cost of diesel and petrol at the pumps and what's been talked about in the future. You came here one time and took Louise out for a spin in your electric car. Are you still driving electric?
1: Uh, very good question. No. Um, I got that car in 2016. and It was a, a, a Nissan Leaf. Fabulous little car. Mm. And I had it for maybe four years. And at, at, at about that time, the infrastructure, national infrastructure for charging them, was pretty much non-existent. Mm. And it was kind of degrading from the first day they implemented it. So I always knew I was an early um, and early, person to take up the electric vehicles because it was easy. You'd pull up at a, at a petrol or sorry, at a charging point, whether that's in Apple Green service stations or car parks, and there's pretty much nobody else there. So you'd always get a charge. Mm. So I'm traveling from Mullingar to Drogheda and back, and my distance is 150 meters. So I'm charging once on the way there and back. And um, so 150
3: kilometers is it? 75 each way? About
1: that, yeah. Yeah. Let's okay. You more. And, and you're doing that you- daily, are you? Well, I was doing it quite a bit, heading to Sonata, but when, you're, when you pull in at a point and there's somebody else ahead of you, and as the, as the popularity grew and the infrastructure didn't grow, it was an impossible task. So I had to move back to a hybrid. And uh, But, I mean, what I would say about the electric cars is love them or hate them, we will all be driving them fairly shortly because um, the, the, uh, the, the, you know, between the bans on petrol and diesel cars coming in and um, the, the availability of the electric cars We will all be back driving them. It's just a matter of the point in time when Mm. we choose to. But they're coming in hard and fast. Just, you know, at the COP29, um, the Glasgow um, conference took place there in December. um, I think it was over 32 countries and a load of cities had signed up to a ban on petrol and diesel vehicles Mm. by 2030.
3: But so, when, when, when I hear what you have to say, that's a real pity because you should have progressed from four years of electric in 2016 to 2020 and, and moved on as such. But there you are. You tell us now the problem is infrastructure in the country. It, it, that That is a, a real looming difficulty. It always has been. But what's been done? Is there going to be more charging points or will people as a de facto situation, no new homes being built, have a charging point in their home?
1: Well, I mean, just, just one of the things that happened with, with this country, I mean, about probably a little over 10 years ago, um, ESB you know, installed the national infrastructure and they got money from government to do that. But there was never any money to maintain it. And this country can be ran for a lot of years without charging anybody for power, which meant there was no budget, there was no money. So each, the amount of infrastructure that was available 10 years ago is actually probably greater than it is today, mm. which is a very surprising fact. And um, I sat on a lot of committees where we're trying to drive that infrastructure nationally and it was very, very hard to do it. Just as we speak, I see um, a tender out from Loud County Council um, uh, to implement with a kind of a cross border arrangement, interreg arrangement, to implement 73 fast charging points in, in the Loud um, northern region. Okay. Um, that's, but that's a tender, which means, you know, it could be two or three years before we actually see that implemented. I think it's generally accepted that the infrastructure isn't there yet. The cars are three and four times much better in terms of distance. Yes. And, uh, yeah, you know, but but once you leave your home, um, it's not that e Always that easy to make sure that you know where you're going to get a charging point, which mm. is a shame.
3: So you now you take your your commute, seventy five kilometers each way. New uh, battery technology allowing ranges of four, five, six hundred kilometers. Even a brand new type car would suit you if you could charge that at home. There'd be no issue with uh, with doing that journey each day. No, uh,
1: that journey is possible to do today, yeah. Um, okay. I mean, my, my, my my distance then was just under 200. Um, mm. uh, so you were in trouble, not, yeah. yeah. But, but once you travel a 100 kilometres, you're down to, say, 75 left. Yes. So you would get range anxiety.
3: Okay, but now, so that issue's out of the way. Now talk to me, a home charging point. If you had a ha- home
1: charging point, I take it you, you could charge your battery up full overnight? You pretty much can, yeah. Um, but it might take 8 to 10 hours to do it on a slow rate. And the, I mean, if you look at the costs, I mean, I think the cost per, but daytime electricity use, um, you know, to charge the average car would would cost you about, um, I think it's about 15 kilometres probably 15 euros to fully charge a car. But if you charge that overnight um, at half rate, you're halving your transport costs because you're down to half rate. Yeah. Um, so there's a hell of a lot of opportunities, you know, if you if you get your charging regime right. But equally. Today, when you're charging on the high street or in um, the, in the f- f- service stations, the costs are also far in excess of what you'll pay for at home. So, I mean, one of the tricks is to be able to charge at home and being able to charge at night. Yes. Of course, just one other factor, which is probably a big factor for the future, is your solar panels. If you can install yourself, set yourself a set of solar panels, um, you could effectively, taking the cost of the solar panel out of the equation, you could be charging for free. Okay. Yep so i mean it is it is a um um a big opportunity you know for anybody who has not not just, you know you want to make sure that everything else is efficient but um, then the cost of your solar panels can start to charge your car. So there is opportunities, it. but there's difficulties in the short term mm. and infrastructure is a bit of a nightmare. And,
3: and the, the, the key fact you say there, you will be paying if you are stopping at service stations or charge points from now on. It will be costing you. The electricity is not free there. You're going to have to pay, and as you say, it's above the rate you can get at night time at home. Listening to what you're saying, I'm just trying to pick your brain here. Mm. Would it be prudent then for somebody even today to consider the solar panels and getting a charging point in with a view, well, I'm sure you'd have to be thinking of, of going electric. Would that be a prudent thing to do?
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, SCAI have a, have a very good website there, and um, they do comparisons of costs. I mean, if you compare the average electric car today to the average small diesel car of the same size, um, OK, you might pay more today for the electric car. Mm. In fact, you will pay more for the electric car. But if you take a 10-year view on that, mm. the costs nearly—you know—the costs pretty much remain... This, you know, they, they rise marginally with the electric car, but they can double and nearly treble with the cost of diesel and, and maintenance costs and everything else, t- um, taxes, etc. So, I mean, over a 10-year period, the electric car is by far a cheaper option. That's without taking solar panels into account. Mm. You put the average payback on the solar panel is 8 to 10 years. So over the same period you could have no charge, no fuel costs. Yes um, if you put solar panels on. So it's a, in terms of a, an investment, it's absolutely a, it's an investment opportunity. So just one other point on the on the solar panels, um, there is a charge there is a feed in charge coming in July of this year. Hopefully expected if the government gets their act together, which means anything that you don't use and it goes to the grid, you get a payment back for it. Yes. Not as much as you might like, but at least it's better than nothing. Mm.
3: Oh, that's positive as well But back to my point uh, uh, New home builds And now apartments are maybe slightly different You're going to have to uh, pr- uh, provide points uh, You know, at, uh, spots around apartment builds and things like that But for a lot of new homes being built in this area here Surely a charge point is now uh, You know, should be taken as, as given That that is part of your new home
1: Absolutely, yeah, you, you would think so um, I mean, certainly if you're in control of the build of your new home It should certainly be put in place and there is a grant towards it, just yeah. a grant. But, I mean, in the apartment blocks, a little bit more difficult. Mm. But, um, but, yeah, I mean, there, there should be a kind of a, um, a centralised location because if we accept the cost of charging by at home by day and night, it's still cheaper than the cost on the roads. Yes. It's an essential ingredient mm. for the future. So, yeah, no, it's a good point.
3: When, when you talk about the cost of a new electric car now, um, it is expensive compared to the diesel or the petrol, as you say. But working it out over a ten-year time frame, do you think the government should do anything there to assist with bringing down the price of electric?
1: Um, well, I suppose um, they have brought in that grant up to five thousand yep. um, pounds. So that, that, that they had that up to no matter what you're paying for your car. You yes, hundred thousand pounds. On, should they, so they do more, Paul? Um, there's certainly things they could do in terms of parking. Um, they have to, they have to have toll costs which is a plus. Mm. Um, and I think very quickly, which is another factor that will come into play fairly shortly, is the air quality issues and the uh, knock the gases. You know, you take towns like Drahad and never mind the, the, the other cities around, the, a, a big issue is gonna coming into the future is going to be um, air quality mm. and the effect diesel and petrol cars have on air quality. So, I mean, there could be a limitation on, um, on other vehicles rather than the promotion for the electric vehicles. But I think as we kind of embrace climate change and all its effects um, on air quality and on carbon emissions, et cetera, I think there'll be more downsides to, altern- to the alternatives, I suppose, plus to the current electric cars. Because there are quite a few incentives at the minute. Um, but, but the big one, of course, in my mind, is that infrastructure issue. Yes. Is just so mm.
3: crucial. Um,
1: because you have to be able to leave. I mean, back in the early days when I was travelling, my car I could take it down to Cork and Limerick the advantage was if I pulled in anywhere, there was no one else there. Yes. You couldn't attempt that journey today with a small range car. No. No,
3: no. Uh, Listen, what's no Ask Paul, often batteries need charging? Well, they need charging. Uh, you know, you, you run it down, I take it, in terms of miles. And when it's coming near the end, then you stick it in and charge it full. Is that the way it works?
1: that's it I mean in fairness mm. into the, front, the front dashboard of all of the cars um, will give you exactly what the yes. range is so as soon as you charge it it'll tell you the range might be 300 kilometres. Mm. and as you drive and as you drive at say 120 kilometres per hour you'll see it moving down very quickly yes. and as you drop your speed to just 100 kilometers you'll realise it isn't dropping so fast mm. it's like anything the more power you use uh, yes. the harder you drive it the quicker you'll see the power dropping but then it'll get you into the range um, but again most of the cars will, will they'll they, the dashboard will tell you exactly. So you, yes. you don't have to know so much about it because they're quite intuitive. Yes. And, and
3: the uh, the listener was asked about the cost. You mentioned that the night rate is the cheapest rate by far if you can do that in your home. Recycling of batteries, well, that is an issue, isn't it?
1: It is, of course. And I mean, um, uh, the, the age, I mean, electric cars aren't around so long as to tell us mm. the exact lifespan of them are. But obviously they're dropping. I mean, some of the electric, uh, same Nissan Leafs, are 2012. And you'll still see them on the road, you know. Yeah. Yeah,
3: yeah, and, and and that's that's a good point to make. They're still tipping along ten years later. Anyway, yep. the call today is for the infrastructure to be got uh, at and expanded asap for government. Paul O'Reilly is calling on. it. And it's a very valid point to make as well. If we want people to move in the direction of, of electric, do you just quickly have a half a minute? Do you believe you know the self-charging hybrids? Are they a step on the road? Do you like them?
1: I do, I I do. But I mean, I I think there's no replacement, really, for the fully electric car because you, you fully embrace the concept then. Yeah. And that's where it needs to go.
3: Paul, you're brilliant. I'll be back to you. You're a mine of information and you're a very important man to us all. You know that. Even more important at this time than ever. Thank you so much for joining me.
1: Very good, Jerry. always good to talk to you. Thank you. You too. Bye. Take care of
3: yourself. That's Paul O'Reilly there, an energy-efficient expert. He's brilliant about inside or outside, as I said. Late lunch, LMFM Radio next up on the show. Yes, Orla Lally is joining me. She scored yesterday for me when they made history at Croke Park. They just keep making history. Last year, the first senior All-Ireland ever, and yesterday... A maiden league division one title to add to all Ireland glory. Yes, I'm talking about Mead Ladies, and I'm delighted to say I'm joined by one of their stars, midfielder Orla Lally, on the show. Hello, Orla.
4: Hello. How are you?
3: I'm really good. How's the how's the body and everything else today? Any celebrating last night?
4: No, not at all. We were hard sensible.
3: <laughs> <laughs> You're pulling me leg, Orla. Don't be pulling me leg on a Monday <laughs> afternoon, you ya. Yeah. Anyway, congratulations to you and everybody. What a game yesterday with Donegal. Oh, Orla, I was so worried for you when you let that seven-point lead slip. What was it like on the field Were you worried yourself? Yeah,
4: um, I suppose we obviously we got a great lead and... Um, I suppose we kind of got a bit complacent, but to be fair to Donegal, they really put the pressure on. Um, it was definitely it was a bit of a worrying stage, all right, but uh, we all had faith in each other, and we all knew that we'd pull together, so you just have to kind of keep that belief going in t- uh, tough challenges like that. So, yeah, we were lucky with the girls around us.
3: I suppose you can explain it away because when Mary Kate Lynch got the sin bin you were down in numbers and that you know that numerical advantage certainly is hard to deal with isn't it when you're when you're disadvantaged
4: yourself Yeah definitely especially at a time when you're kind of unexpected it um, mm-hmm. so again just we we all had to kind of pull together it took a, f- a few minutes for us to do that but when we did um we got going again, thank God.
3: <laughs> Indeed you did. And and you know, when you did fall behind, you showed that resilience, you levelled it up, and then really on you went from there. Nevo Sullivan's goal was critical, wasn't it?
4: Yeah, it was absolutely fantastic and for Emma Troy to point her out, I don't know how she did, but she had great vision and just gave her the perfect pass in. You couldn't have you couldn't have asked for it any better. So um yeah, it was just that was a real uh, turning point in the game for us.
3: What do you, I've asked this many times in the past to other of your colleagues as well, what is it about this group, uh, you know, what, what have you got, uh, and Eamon Murray of course at the helm and the whole team you have around you, what's the
4: secret? Um, that's, that's, that's a good question, I think to point it, to separate it out, one little thing on its own would be very hard, but um, for me I think a major factor is the journey that we've had, and the big knocks that we've had uh on the way up to getting where we are. Um I came onto the panel in two thousand and eighteen when I was sixteen years old and it was because there was no one no adults wanted to play for mead at the time. And um I think working our way up and realising like how how down in the dumps mead was as regards ladies football. Uh we just we really don't want to be back there and we're really privileged to have these opportunities that we're getting now and we don't want to let that slip and just take them by the two hands
3: isn't that amazing to think how low a point it was at when you went in there? And at 16 years of age as well, a whippersnapper, you know what I mean? Coming into <laughs> in, into a setup like you did. And what has happened since? And, and now, you see, uh, on the other hand, that was they were the dark days. With what you girls have achieved, this is going to spawn, you know, lots of young ladies, young women who want to wear the green and gold. You understand that too now?
4: Yeah, always. It's absolutely fantastic. Um, we actually, m- myself and my club mate, Ali Sherlock, uh, had the cup there last week and we brought it to our old primary schools. And even just for the kids to see that and them all uh, bringing in and wearing their jersey and having something, and they were all so excited. Um, it's it's really great for them growing up and having something to uh, aspire to.
3: Mm, now you need a trophy cabinet, Orla. Yeah.
4: <laughs> yeah <laughs> Yes do
3: Come on Do you have to get The trophy cabinet now Because you're, they're starting To accumulate now <laughs> They, may, they may
4: build an extension In uh, Dungani
3: here Yes maybe. Yes indeed They're going to have to There's a job to be done For sure um, So you look You you will enjoy And celebrate And here you are You have both You have the All-Ireland You have the league title Now as well At the highest level And of course It all begins again There's no rest Is there because The championship. Is imminent.
4: Exactly. Yeah. Um. We were told last week that we were, we'd be back training on Tuesday, and we all kind of gave a look like not even a night off. But uh, after last night, we eventually twisted Eamon's arm to give us to give <laughs> us Tuesday off. So. <laughs> Uh, even though it's only the one night It'll be a bit of a rest And uh, we'll be ready then to regroup later on in the week And get going again
3: Good on Eamon Good on you Eamon Well yeah. done to you God it's the least it deserves to get the X tonight Mind you if Hatton goes wrong down the road He'll probably throw it back at
4: you Oh I know <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry I know <laughs>
3: No, he won't. I'm only kidding. I'm only kidding. But look, it, it is, you know, when you reach such a level, I said, and this is a fact, for any successful team, you ladies want to go and do this all again, don't you? It's whetted your appetite.
4: Yeah, definitely. Once you get a taste for winning, you you just want more of it. Um, and that's what's very, another special thing about this group of girls and management is that we, like, no matter how well we played, like, even yesterday we went out there and won, but like we will we'll regroup at the end of the week, and we'll just want to get better again, and fix and more things, and just constantly uh, improve and be the best that we can. And uh, that's what's kind of driving us on and keeps us. Hungry
3: for more. Ah, indeed and it does. And remember, they're all gunning for you now. You're the ones to be shot down. You're the oh, champs, yeah. double champs. And that brings other challenges with it. You know what? You're a fantastic group of women. You really are. And you've inspired so many within me and outside as well with your achievements. Enjoy this, Orla. pass on our congratulations to all your colleagues. And good luck for the championship ahead. Will do, thanks very much Not at all, thank you for joining me on the show today Orla Lally there, two points she picked off as well herself yesterday in that wonderful win by Meath over Donegal Well done to them After two I have a very special guest Former newsreader Una O'Hagan is joining me to talk about her late husband Columns final book. Yes, I take your point. We're talking to Paul O'Reilly, top of the show, about uh, electric cars and a number of people making the point, what happens if the electricity goes off of this power cut? Well, that's inevitable. It affects all our lives from time to time. But I have to say, on the law of averages, uh, the power companies restore it uh, generally uh, as quick as possible. And they're very good about letting us know when there is an outage. But it is a point you make and I take it on board for sure. Now, moving on on late lunch this afternoon. Back in January, Let me tell you a little story. I was out pottering in my greenhouse. It was a Saturday afternoon, and when I checked the date, actually it was the 22nd of January. And my phone gave a beep with an alert, and I honestly couldn't believe what I read that Colin Keane had passed away. And as I sat alone, I honestly tell you this I shed tears. As I remember the man who joined me on late lunch on numerous occasions. And the friendship we developed over the years through our conversations about his brilliant writing on a range of topics. Column. Uh, you'll remember him well, had a particular interest in what happens to us when we pass on from this life, penning bestsellers like Going Home, We'll Meet Again and Heading for the Light. And now his final book is published. It's called Journey's End. And I'm delighted to say I'm joined today by someone who's been at Colm's side for more than 36 years and who collaborated with him on a number of his books, Colm's wife, Una Hagen. Hello, Una.
0: Hi, Jerry. How are you? Good to talk to you. And good
3: to talk to you. And may I return that to you? How are you, Una?
0: I'm doing OK, actually. I'm doing all right. I mean, in a way, I'm lucky that I'm busy bringing this book out. Colum instructed me, <laughs> not even <laughs> as, but instructed me to bring it out. So I have been busy. But, you know, it's still strange. You know, um, he's still not here. You kind of think of things to tell him like, oh, Colm would love to hear that. Um you know, uh, it's, as you say, after more than 36 years, it's kind of like your, your right hand is gone, um, you know.
3: And I'm sure there was never shortage of a conversation I- I- in that kitchen or when you were sitting down at evening time.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I was only talking to a friend of mine about these couples that you see in restaurants or bars, mostly restaurants, actually, where they're sitting there and they don't say a word to each other. From the one end of the meal to the other, mm. I could never understand that. We used to look at them, but yeah, we talk about anything, including your beloved football <laughs> and our beloved football as well. Yes. I mean, anything and everything.
3: Yeah, he was a great, and you were a great, brave wanderer supporters, and of the League yeah. of Ireland as well. You were all you could be yeah. seen at games and everything. It was another. Oh, aspect. we suffered. <laughs> <laughs> well, when you're a drama fan, there's suffering there too. We can yeah, empathise. I feel your pain. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know, as I said to you, I was. T- totally shocked when the word came through that he'd passed and, you know, I was just actually waiting for him to get in touch about his next yeah. book and then I was so thrilled when you contacted me. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Did, did, his, did his illness come back all of a sudden, Nuna?
0: It, it did and it didn't. Uh, it was cancer. Uh, Colm had had cancer 10 years ago and uh, he was given a 20% chance of survival. He survived it, obviously, and lived. grabbed the next 10 years. Uh, We were talking to you in, or I was talking to you in September, Mm. September, October for the Book of St. Bridget. Yes. And he had noticed a lump on his shoulder. And um, then to cut a long story short, they spent a long time trying to find out what kind of cancer it was. They never really figured it out. Mm. But by then it was irrelevant because it had spread Yes. So we knew that there was there, there was no going there wasn't going to be another escape this time. Yeah. But he was offered um, palliative treatment, and he said no when he heard what it was. When he you know mm. he, he was offered chemotherapy again, and the first thing he said was, "I don't want to lose my hair and beard again." Ah. You know, kind of, I don't want to be sick again. I don't want to be that patient again. And he wanted to live as long as he could as a as a real person.
3: Oh my oh my And you know that leads me on to a question I, 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 I've been dying really to ask you about him Because I mentioned his volume of work But his work around the afterlife Passing on It's it's extensive Did it when you were with him In those final months and weeks and days You know what I'm I, I'm getting at Was he more prepared and at ease Than any of us might be Because of his work in the area
0: yeah, I think so. Now, I don't want to give the wrong impression. Colm yeah. didn't want to go. Yes. You know, he had lots of ideas. I'm sitting at the desk where we worked, you know, in the filing cabinet. I came across all his ideas for the next few years. He had lots of things that he wanted to do. But he recognised that, you know, you don't choose the time at which you depart. And so given the amount of books that he's written, um he was prepared. I mean, his bottom line was, death is nothing to be feared. And in fact, he kind of refined that in this book, mm. uh, in Journey's End, where he said, death is not an end, but the start of something totally new. And that's the important bit. It's totally new. It's our consciousness surviving in a heaven and hell of our own making. Um, and really that, I think, prepared him for, for passing.
3: Mm. Um, it's interesting what he covers off in the book and i've had it a couple of weeks and and been through it and the topics he covered with me before the light I'll never forget the day he came here first when I met him first and we opened up the lines with the stories of people who had major heart attacks or, or incidents that were, where they were gone for a time and the, what we heard from you know this as well from listeners and people who had so many stories to tell but the light he starts off the book of that then uh, he talks about God and, and this thing about heaven you know the way I laugh when reading it when we're up in an airplane he even writes about this we're up in the sky we're near heaven no he says it's a state
0: yes it is it's not heaven is left to do with a physical yeah. place and more to do with a, a state of supreme happiness mm. where our consciousness creates its own reality and where all our hopes and wishes are realised. I mean, that sounds wonderful to me. I'd like to go there.
3: Yes, and that—that that is the thing about it, the appeal. And, and, and that keeps coming through in all the stories and an awful lot of what, what he covered. Of course, uh, w- w- when you read the book, I suppose in a way, having a faith myself... I, I begin to think about what, what he's written about here and that in a way, the formal church at times and churches, I'm, not, I'm talking about a range of churches Ooh. and things they come up with like hell, purgatory, indulgences, yeah. the devil and things like this. Really, in a way, he writes and says these are things that have caused problems for institutional religion.
0: Absolutely, yeah, and I mean, particularly with purgatory mm. and limbo. I mean, he—I think he had a phrase like a tortured kind of uh, theological construct that people have come up with, because they've painted themselves into a corner and they're trying desperately to get back out. But he was saying was that fundamentally, the light is the most important thing, and the light means when you, when you, when you die, you want to get to the light. That is love that is happiness, that is joy. Mm. It's also even more than that, it's kind of understanding and comprehension, uh, implying column believed that, that it's our consciousness that survives. But the interesting thing is it's not just one religion mm. that is believes the light is important. Like we come from a, a pretty Christian, Catholic kind yes. of background, mm. so we would think, therefore, it's only the Bible that t- talks about the light, but it's not islam Buddhism, Hinduism, light is absolutely fundamental. Um, to the uh, to the afterlife, mm. uh, which I think is which blew my mind actually.
3: Yes, and 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 mine too. In that the parallels between the different faiths—the Quran, the Bible, Buddhism, Hinduism, Catholicism—you know the the Christian faiths—and that it's amazing to see the commonality. We have far more in common, don't we, than uh, separates us.
0: Absolutely. And Colm used to ha- had a great phrase to describe religion. And uh, and death and their beliefs, and he said it's a bit like light, light again, falling through a stained glass window, and each you you see different colours, mm. but that each religion kind of reflects. They see things slightly differently, but the fundamentals are the same. Like you know, one of the things that I found really reassuring is that we will meet our dead relatives mm. and friends, um, you know, and, and they want to meet us. They're happy to meet us, yes. which is good because you don't want to be meeting, you know, the bully who beat you up in the schoolyard when yeah. you were a child. Mm. You know, um, how people recognised the people who were meeting them. They may not have met them before, but they knew them. They knew they were their kin. Um, I just found it fascinating. And I found it the chapter where he talked about animals, you know, do animals go to heaven? Do we see our pets again? And
3: the answer is yes. Yeah, it was the next thing I was going to actually ask you about that. Not just the human being, uh, but our beloved and those animals that we mean so much to us through our lifetime. They're covered off in this as well. He also, like, uh, leaves us with many thoughts and and Mm -hmm. speculation about the future in terms of this quantum mechanics and the research that is ongoing that he believes down the road we will
0: know more. Absolutely. Now, whatever you do, don't ask me for an explanation. No, no, I'm not going to. I'm not (laughs) sure anybody actually can. But what I took away from that chapter in particular was the attempts by scientists, like really uh, extraordinarily bright scientists, like Max Planck, for example, Mm. who invented quantum mechanics, to try and explain the afterlife, and they 've come up with amazing kind of theories, but say somebody like Max Planck, he was a very religious man uh, i 'm down in uh, living in Dungarvan at the moment, and uh, the Irishman Ernest Walton, he was the first person to artificially split the atom. he was a practicing Methodist, so this kind of assumption that you cannot that that science and religion or a belief in the afterlife or a belief in something else are incompatible, is wrong. You know, it's, uh, we, we should try and, and get over that. And the one thing, Stephen Hawking, you know, the famous physicist, now, he was not a religious man, but Colum uses an amazing quote from him where he says, you know, at the end, when all these subatomic particles are broken down, there remains light. Yeah. and
3: you have light again mm-hmm. yeah, Talk about quotes I have to read this one and it's towards the end of the book but I absolutely loved it I just want to read this little uh, passage uh, to you and, and to our listeners uh, Column says Religion has also underscored the thoughts of comedian and movie maker Woody Allen Death has caught his attention too although like the rest of us he has found it easier to circumvent it as an issue for serious thought or debate Death said Woody It's ruined my life
0: completely <laughs> I love <laughs> Absolutely. I love yeah. that. He, it, it, something is another line as well about his apartment. I'd rather yeah. live on in my apartment rather than in the memories of <laughs> other yes, people. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. Yeah, I, I think he's got the right attitude. <laughs> he has.
3: He has. And that's why I want to read that. He, he certainly has. But back to Colm, you know, from the first time I met him, he was such an engaging man. And you know what? The key trait of a brilliant journalist, broadcaster in this media where we all operate is his curiosity, Una, and he had it by the spadeful, hadn't he? He
0: did, and he had it on so many different levels. Like, he wrote books on psychology, on sport, all different kinds of sport. He wrote, it on, wrote books on economics, uh, on various saints who he was fascinated by. He called them the kind of the rock stars of their time. And, of course, the near-death experience. And, as you say, like any good journalist... He wanted to go out, he wanted to find out the facts, he wanted to talk to the people who had experienced or witnessed this, and then to make up his own mind. And mm-hmm. I think he succeeded in, in that.
3: Oh, he succeeded by the spadeful. He achieved in his lifetime what what others haven't achieved over many, I have to say. And the other thing about him was, and I know this because he always said this to me, he loved radio as a medium.
0: Oh, Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he always, I think one of his greatest moments, uh, and not many people know it, was, do you remember Italia 90? Yes. Will we ever forget? Yes, Will We Ever Forget is right. And he was producing the summer Pat Kenny show on RTE, and he came up with the idea to send Nell McCafferty to Italy, to follow the team and and the fans. Now, anybody else would have said, I'll send a sports reporter. But of course, it wasn't about sports at the time. It was bigger than that. Mm. It was kind of about the soul of a nation. And Colum always said, the best pictures are on radio. And Nell McCafferty was great at painting pictures. She was so good, she won a Jacobs Award. But I think that programme, and Nell and Colum actually constituted a large part of the well a fair part of the, the magic of in the nineteen. Yes. You know
3: you are so right. And it was so different and was thinking outside the box and it
0: worked yes, it an wasn't absolute even a box. He was so far out. <laughs> yes nobody it was. would have
3: No, yet. no, no, and it worked an absolute treat, but the creativity endless. Look to finish today I have to say to you, we will all miss him. His body of work is there for generations to come and it lives in testament to him. He was the most wonderful man and one of uh, the people I will always remember from my time in radio as making a mark with me and making a huge impression on me anytime I ever met him and, and spoke to him I have to say and I want to recommend highly this book called Journey's End The Truth About Life After Death by Colum Keane it's his final work and it's available now all across the country
1: All right, I'll do. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential
0: Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch.
2: Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG.
3: I wish you well. We're all thinking of you, and thank you so much for joining me today.
2: Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Jerry.
0: And by the way, Colum loved being interviewed by you. He loved your enthusiasm, your knowledge and your uh, support. Uh, and Maybe misplaced support of the League of Ireland. <laughs> well, it as it may.
3: You're too kind and it's lovely of you to uh, say those words to me today. I deeply appreciate them. Una, God bless you. Take care of yourself.
0: Take care. Take
3: care. Bye-bye. 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 That's the wonderful Una O'Hagan there. Colm's book is Journey's End. I've read it. I'm going to give it to one of you after this short break. <laughs> Column Keane's book I have here. I'd like to give it to one of you. It's called Journey's End The Truth About Life After Death. Would you like a copy of Column's book? You know, normally I ask you a question, but just to remember him again today, just text me a WhatsApp me Column's name. Column Keane. Text Column Keane to 086 1800 658 for the book. If you have a little reason why you'd like it, you might attach it to your message as well. That's Column Keane to 086 086- 1800 658 by WhatsApp or text and I'd be pleased to give the book to one of you this afternoon. Listening to us on Late Lunch and welcome to the show if you're joining us today on the radio, on your smart speaker, you just play LMFM, that's all you have to say to it at any stage, or the app the, the LMFM app, make sure you download that app, you can bring us with you wherever you go and of course we're online as well, lmfm.ie Now let me remind you our radio bingo is going great guns big winners recently, 6 €600 each to Michael Thornton and Lily Donnelly. Uh, Sheila Maloney won €200. Martina Caffrey €400. The Jackpot €6,200. You can get your book online, lmfm.ie, or from outlets across the Northeast. There are lots of shops selling them. And remember there's a Brucey bonus there. Yes, if you buy a book, you're in with a chance to win a fabulous two night bed and breakfast stay at the five star Western Hotel in the heart of Dublin, beside Trinity College, and only a stone's throw from Grafton Street. Good luck to you with LMFM Radio Bingo. Now the Bachelors. Anybody remember the Bachelors? Hello? Anybody out there remember the Bachelors? I remember them. I was only a whippersnapper at the time but I got the impression that these were very important men uh, because they were big stars. Did you know that the Bachelors back in the uh, 60s and into the early 70s, I'm not joking you, put them in the same box as Westlife or Boyzone of their days as well. These were superstars, Irish lads, based in the UK. And they made history, The Bachelors, because they were the first Irish group to top the charts in the UK with a number one and the reason I mention them is sadly the death was announced of Con Klusky, one of the founder members of the trio yes and he's passed away uh, last Friday it was and we remember him today the bachelors number one in the UK with this one
2: my daughter.
3: Ah, oh, simply brilliant. The Bachelors brings back memories. When I was a little fella, I can remember them playing on the radio at home and remembering Con Clusky from The Bachelors, who passed away in recent days, making history with that one. Diane, the first Irish group to achieve a number one on the UK singles charts. And over a lengthy career, they released more than 70 albums, appeared in two movies and performed at venues all over the world. They were stars in their day and lovely to remember Con and the boys on late lunch this afternoon what a weekend of sport oh my god what a weekend of sport and besides the sport we had a lovely christening over the weekend yes my little grandson was christened Harry Jared Kelly and what it was I'll tell you it was just a lovely time we had as well and congratulations to Sean and Jared, Harry himself and his sister Pippa that we had a lovely lovely day with them and we thanked them for it but on the sporting front oh my god God Sheffler wins the Masters. No surprise, the world number one. He's been coming like a train for the last year. It was magnificent. Tiger made the cut and made it to the final day. He's coming to the Open at St. Andrews this year. The tickets are gone already once he announced that. He is the greatest superstar. Well done to Sheffield. What about the match yesterday? Liverpool fans, City fans, were you happy? Who's the happier? Have to say, it was 90 minutes of wonderful football. Four goals, could have been more. Action all the way. Two absolutely brilliant teams, and it was great to see a big build game actually living up to its reputation. And the Grand National. Did you back the winner at fifty-to-one? I'd a hundred and twenty-five to one shot. Sure he fell. What else would you do at 125 to 1? But I'm sure people picked up money in Irish connections again, winning at Aintree. An unbelievable sporting weekend and of course capped off. The icing on the cake with Mead Ladies winning the National Football League title. We were talking to Orla Lally a little bit earlier on on the show. You're at Late Lunch on LMFM Radio 086 1800 658. If you want to WhatsApp or text in. Up next, you know I kept bees for a time in my career on this show. I did indeed. I remember recording a series live from The Hive with Owen McGillicudder, one of the most brilliant beekeepers in Ireland based in Louth. Well, Owen's joining me next because... The fate of the native Irish honeybee is on the line. Now, you do know, during my career on Late Lunch, I became a beekeeper for a time, and actually it's something I'd love to go back to someday when I have a little more time. But my mentor uh, those years ago is an absolutely brilliant man. He comes from beekeeping uh, beekeeping dynasty, I have to say. He's based in County Louth, outside Dunleer, for quite a number of years now, and I'm delighted to say hello on Late Lunch again this afternoon. He's a, a champion beekeeper as well. own McGillicudder, hello. Thanks, Jerry. Hi. Nice to talk to you again. It's been too long altogether, yeah. Owen. Thank you for joining me on the show today. But we're talking about a very serious matter. First of all, you might just context for, for listeners. There is a native Irish honeybee, a little dark bee, a nearly a black coloured bee. And this bee is the native species in this country, Owen. Uh, very important to us. Yeah, it is
5: uh, the native Irish honeybee. bee. Um, it is, and uh, it's ideal for Irish conditions. It can work in our lovely damp, uh, you know, cool summers, and you know, uh, store honey in those conditions. And this bee is actually, it's it's the black bee. It's called or the European dark bee, and it's practically extinct. Uh, it used to be all over northern Europe, but it's practically extinct there. And the best population uh, is in is in Ireland. And, and a study there a few years ago, a really important study showed that uh, Ireland had the the best population, healthiest population, and that County Loud along with uh, South Tipperary and Connemara had the best population in Ireland of this uh, honeybee. Um, And actually, it was actually just even recently NUIG have done uh, some more work and they showed actually that the native honeybee of County Loud is actually distinct. It is actually, you know, uh, uh, distinct to this area. So it is actually a very localised bee and adapted two conditions here in County Loud. You know.
3: And then it's widespread in Ireland beside the areas you mentioned as well, but there's a real concern now for its future. Why, own?
5: Well, the biggest problem with this is that the import of other types of bees because uh, due to the mating system of bees, like say, for instance, if somebody imported bees over, say, an RD, for instance, and the males from that hive could actually travel all the way over towards Dunliar or uh, meet halfway with my queens coming from Dunliar, and what you get then is a hybridised or mongrelized uh, bee. And what happens then is that you lose the characteristics of the native bee. Um, so this is a big a big problem and the, the problem is that imports of bees into ireland are not illegal even though we've been fighting for 20 years to try and put, uh, you know uh, curtailed imports but they're very luckily they're, they're very few but but unfortunately we actually those local beekeepers came across a swarm of imported bees just north of Drogheda there last summer which is a bit worrying and there's actually also been a uh, couple of suspicious incidents where there's been uh, trucks spotted unloading beehives in County Loud, probably for distribution in other parts of Ireland. And uh, this, this is, a, a, you know, a, it's a, it's a problematic because uh, we don't know where those bees are coming from, whether they're legal or illegal. Um, Department of Agriculture said they've investigated the matter, which is a bit weird considering they haven't contacted the ey- eyewitnesses as yet. And, and you know, the first incident happened there before Christmas. So that's, uh, you know, even though the population of the honeybee is in a very good state in County Loud, uh, we do have these threats and worries hanging over us, you know.
3: And, Owen, you know, when, when we have something that's native and thrives here, why would you want to bring something else in and interfere with that? Is this being done, you know, uh, on purpose or, or is it through lack of education or what?
5: Uh, a bit of both. I mean, you know, there's an old Irish phrase uh, which basically means, you know, that uh, the grass is always greener on the other side. So, you know, uh, some people think that bees from other places, like especially Mediterranean, Mediterranean bees, are better than our native bees. And, and there's been loads of research showing that isn't the case because you know, you know, if you take Italian, there's loads of Italian bees imported into Ireland in the 1960s and 1970s. You know, an Italian bee won't leave the hive until the temperature re- reaches 15 degrees which is you could be waiting a long time in Ireland, even during summer, for Mm. temperatures to reach that much. So, like, the scale of the imports in Ireland compared to other countries, compared to Britain, is is very small, but it's still there, you know, and it can, you know, if somebody imports bees close to somebody who's been breeding bees for a long time, uh, you know, I've been breeding native bees for 20 years or more, and if someone brings in imported bees, it could ruin, you know, a lot of my work, you know, and so it's, but, but there is some good news in there as well, though. But um, there is the Loud County Council there a couple of weeks ago. Uh, there was uh, Councillor Marion Butler of the Green Party brought in a motion to the council and they, they passed it that the council actually recognises the unique uh, native honeybee population, County Loud, uh, and, you know, acknowledge the fact that it is a kind of, a, a you know, um, an unofficial... Uh, conservation area for uh, the native bee uh which is, you know it doesn't have any legal standing but it's, it's some official recognition for you know this beautiful bee that uh you know is native to county Loud and works well here you know
3: So you would say to people listening today who might be involved in this, I want to dip their toe in the water with beekeeping. Go to your local beekeeping organisation, County Loud Beekeepers, the Royal Beekeepers in County Meath, uh, which is our catchment area here. They're the people that can help you and point you in the right direction.
5: Absolutely, yeah, and you know, it, like, I mean, I would be more familiar with County Loud, and they yep. have a very good system for beginners, and they help uh, supply um, local bees, they actually have even this year, the last two years, they're taking part in a programme, a national programme to, to breed local bees, and that has been highly successful, They've They've bred, last year they bred a few hundred uh, queens for uh, local distribution, which is which means, you know, when you're supplying local bees to beginners, it means that they won't be tempted to go further afield to, mm. to get their bees,
3: you know. And I'm just thinking of what you mentioned with the bees, which is pe- uh, peculiar to the honey as well. We often hear about Manuka, but as you pointed out to me and we understand, locally produced honey by native bees, drawing from the local area, is as good as anything you can get.
5: Absolutely, yeah. And this is, this is the thing, if you can get it, like, and there's a lot of beekeepers now in County Louth. you know, from different, you know, most of them are on the hobby scale and they're producing local honey um, from the local resort, local flowers. Um, and, uh, you know, this this honey, it's 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 very good in this era where we don't want food to be traveling too far. Um, and it's unprocessed uh, compared to a lot of the imported honey you see on the supermarket shelves, which would Traveled thousands and thousands of miles and would be uh, highly processed before it gets to the, to the consumer. Well, oh,
3: there's nothing to beat local. I, ca- I can vouch for that for sure. Yeah. Um, what about uh, just moving uh, slightly aside from this uh, yeah. to the current uh, beekeeping year? God Almighty, own two weeks ago only or maybe a little more. It looked like the dream team of a year: weather and bees and floor flor- flora and fauna all coming in sync with lovely weather. By God, I'd say that last couple of stopped that Owen?
5: Absolutely I mean we had a very mild winter we had a, a fantastic autumn a very mild winter February was actually very wet uh, but then we had yeah we had there about uh, almost two weeks um, of really good weather and it looked great but unfortunately the weather has gone backwards now and it's been a very very difficult spring for bees and, and actually on that point uh, Jerry, uh, while I'm here you know I would encourage or uh, ask all say. um uh, Residents' associations, tidy towns, and everything to um, try not to cut, you know, the large areas of public, uh, you know, grass around, uh, you know, the, the the county, because it's not only honeybees. Honeybees are at least you have beekeepers look after them, but you have coming out of the, the tough spring now. You have bumblebees and hoverflies and butterflies um, and social, uh, sorry, solitary bees. And if they need food, and you know, the most important food this time of year is actually pollen and nectar from the dandelion. So it's important, like, and a lot of tidy towns have adopted now the uh, don't mow, let it grow. Philosophy where they only cut around the verges, or they cut where children are playing, but the other large swathes of uh, uh, grass are just left uh, to flower. And this provides a fantastic food for our native pollinators, which are under terrible threat at the moment. You know, we, we, it's reckoned that probably we'll probably lose, we have 100 species of bee in Ireland, and it's reckoned in the next less than 10 years, by like 2030, they reckon we'll mm. lost, we'll have lost 30% of them. Mm. Um so you know everything you know you can do to allow uh nature to to flourish you know just allow you know and, and even you know if you say a town like Drogheda, there's must be you know there's tens of acres of, of green grass there that's just a lot of it is mowed for no real reason yeah Um, And and in this day day and age of, you know, um, climate crisis, when you want to cut down on the use of fossil fuels and the fact that, you know, we're probably in a fuel crisis as well, you know, it's a good idea to kind of ease down on the mowing, um, you know, in large large areas anyway. Yeah,
3: and the council, they've issued that statement for you, but they can help you as well by not mowing the verges and that, not letting them get out of control, you know, that would cause problems, but leave the dandelions. The, The spread of dandelions is fantastic. They look lovely as well, the yellows. And as own says, that you'll be helping not alone uh, our native species of bees, but all the other solitary bees and creatures a- a- as well. What about on the disease front, own varroa mites and and other things? Still a big issue for all yeah, beekeepers. I mean, uh, the,
5: as you know, like the varroa was always the big issue for well since it's arrived in Ireland uh, over twenty mm-hmm. years ago. Um, but there's been a lot of advances now in that. and that, it's a lot of beekeepers have turned away uh, towards non treatments. They've actually, a lot of bees have become resistant uh, and they're able to um, fight the the varroa themselves without being uh, treated. Um, And there's a lot of wild bees, wild honeybees. Uh, The varroa would have wiped out most of them, but they are returning to the wild, and these would have natural resistance because obviously there 's no beekeeper there to to give them treatments against varroa, so there 's a lot of work going on, a lot of research going on now showing that um, especially uh, all these native bees, a lot of them are surviving without any treatment for years and years um, i 've actually inherited some colonies from a, a friend of mine who died there a couple of years ago, and he hadn 't treated for a long time and this will be the seventh year in a row that these bees haven't been treated and they're absolutely still thriving um, which which is great mm. I mean it means now we don't have to be using any uh, kind of you know chemicals or even uh, organic chemicals to treat the um, the varroa you
3: know Isn't that great to hear it really is How many hives do you ever count him? how many are you looking after yourself you're always uh, a busy man
5: yeah yeah it varies it varies from time to time and the time of the year and that i i close to 200 i suppose uh, my
3: own own full time talk about it and it gets busier and busy now it, moving it, from it, one to the other
5: it does, from when the weather, as soon as the weather, I'm waiting here impatiently for the weather to <laughs> uh, improve because I can't really do anything, yes. and, you know, um, but uh, yeah, it is, it goes, it's It's very really crazy from from the kind of like uh, mid-April until the end of September is kind of very mm. mad at times, you know. But,
3: so what's yeah. the ideal weather forecast for a beekeeper from here on in? If you had your wish now for the rest of April, May, June, what are you looking for?
5: Well, I'd like now. I'd like a few good weeks uh, now going into May. You know, a nice, uh, uh, you know, nice April, mid-April to May. Uh, would be good because we get a lot of flowers and it'll help build the bees up. June is not so important; it doesn't matter to me if June is, isn't that great because there isn't actually that many flowers around. And then what we need is uh, three or four good weeks in July, which we got last year. Last year was absolutely incredible year for mm. beekeepers mm. in this part of the country. Anyway, definitely.
3: Oh um, ah, yes, yes, it was it was wonderful, and we enjoyed it too. But the bees yeah. are similar to ourselves; they like that warm warmth and dryness as well at certain times. Times of the year, yeah, well, yeah,
5: well, I mean, yeah, well, mm. warmth with maybe a little bit of humidity, like yeah. as I often kind of say, uh, we
3: don't mind rain so much,
5: so long as it's at night time.
3: <laughs> <laughs> now, oh, now you're talking, yeah. that's the idea. Anyway, keep on doing what you're doing, and all beekeepers, I wish you well for the season ahead. But do folks come on, it's the native little dark Irish bee is the one for us in this neck of the woods and all over the country. Oh, thank you for joining me. Thanks very much, Terry. Take care of yourself. Bye bye. Oh, McGillicuddy there. One of the most brilliant beekeepers I've ever come across and sending us an important message today. And leave the dandelion. That's a very important point to make as well. Local, native bees and their honey. You just got to let it finish to the very end there. How many times in my life have I been at meetings and on committees and that song going through my head? Oh my God, if I had a euro for every minute I wasted, I would be the wealthiest man in this country. Jerry Rafferty and Steeler's Wheel there. 49 years ago, it was in the charts. 1973, it hit number eight in the UK and six in America. A standard bearer of a song for sure on your late lunch this monday afternoon now uh, on a serious note the hse are urging parents and carers to discard certain kinder chocolate products just want to bring this to your attention again Uh, that uh, they issued a statement again in recent days to the Food Safety Authority of Ireland, an extended food alert concerning the recall of certain kinder products and advising consumers that these products should not be consumed. If you have them in your home, don't, don't, please consume them. Put them to the bin, get rid of them, uh, because uh, Ferrero, the parent company, has instituted an EU-wide withdrawal and recall of a range of products. So to be on the safe side... Please do err on the side of caution because there have been uh, 15 cases of salmonella since the end of January uh, here in Ireland. So you really do need to take care. And of course, Easter, chocolate, eggy time, all that type of stuff. Actually, we'll be talking about it on the show before we break for the Easter on Thursday here. A lovely reaction to my chat with Uno Hagen. Ain't surprised. She's just gorgeous, isn't she? And. She's on her own now. Yes, she lost her son. I didn't mention it to her, but we know that that Colm and Una lost their only son some years back. And now Colm has passed on and Una doing the best she she can, as you heard. They're publishing Colm's last book and got lovely comments in from people saying, loved the man, loved his books, really admired them, wishing Una well etc uh, etc et on it goes there i can only give the book to one of you and i'd love to give a copy to one and all but that's the look of the draw anyway mary sweeney the book is yours journey's end column Keane's final book mary will be on its way to you shortly and enjoy it's uh, the final chapter in columns works but uh, what a legacy i say again he's left to us all and future generations now, just bring to your attention, uh, Blaney Blades, wonderful people. Aren't they just great? Tomorrow, the 12th of April, 6.30 to 8 o'clock, a great friend of late lunches will be with Blaney Blades. Yes, Rachel Graham is giving a talk on the menopause and why am I gaining weight? Uh, five euro in. Five euro shirts for nothing. Blaney Blades, check it out. Rachel is brilliant and the Blades uh, Lorraine and all the crew up there do absolutely wonderful work. That's tomorrow Tuesday between six thirty and eight p m Five euro it'll set you back to go along there. What about the truckers in Dublin? Have you a view on that blocking uh, the the uh, the East link bridge? They're causing chaos, and I know I know they have a point as well but why should they affect all of the rest of us in making the point and causing pandemonium in the city? If you have a view, 086 by WhatsApp or text. Soundtrack after three, it's a great one. And we'll hear why educating children in CPR is so important. I mentioned the truckers blocking the East Link Bridge and I know it's very difficult for them. Life is very difficult for everybody at the moment, but making it more difficult, stopping people getting to work if there's an emergency... Uh, with ambulances or somebody has to take somebody by car to a hospital or there's appointments to be met do you think about this fellas and girls do you really think about this and I know you want to make your point but I have a message in from David. Good afternoon, And I live and work in Dublin listening to you here. No food or drink delivered. My brother is a taxi driver. He just went home. He's lost a few, Bob. All I can say is they must have had lots of diesel to waste to be at this. They should be arrested, says David. Thank you indeed for your message this afternoon. And I know we protest and we have to make a point. And we'd all love cheaper uh, diesel and petrol prices for sure. Cheaper electricity and gas. But it's just a facet of life at the moment, the way this has gone. Hopefully it won't last long term. But I say it again, I often say it, that, you know, people who hit vulnerable people when they're protesting, it's wrong. I say that and I understand your grievances, but it is wrong when you think about others that you're impacting on. I want to say hello this afternoon to Catherine McGuinness, who's in Morocco On our lilo, on our sunbed, enjoying the beautiful sun, listening to late lunch live on our smartphone app. Jermaine McCabe is there with her as well. You lucky ducks. Thanks for sending us the message. Hope you have a great time there and keep on listening for sure. I'm going to dedicate my song for my soundtrack now to both you, Catherine and Jermaine. Anyway, my soundtrack this week, let me tell you about it. And the movie it comes from. Since 1937, there have been four different versions of the movie. And it's featured soundtrack this week. The original starred Janet Gaynor and Frederick Marsh in 1937, as I said. 17 years later then, in 1954, Judy Garland and James Mason, two big stars, took the lead roles. Before 22 years on, in 1976, Barbara Streisand starred opposite Chris Christopherson. What am I talking about? What's the name of the movie in the soundtrack? Well, the most recent remake is 2018, and it's the one you're probably most familiar with. And even though 80 years separate the first coming to the big screen of the movie... And the latest one, the central theme, has always remained the same. A successful man with a waning career in showbiz meets a talented young woman looking to make her way in the business. Yes, of course, I'm talking about a star is born. Of the four versions, the original is the template, but didn't really stand out. The 54 version is an epic of almost three hours long. 76? Streisand and Christofferson is regarded as the worst version, with Bradley Cooper's most recent remake topping the lot, obviously learning from the mistakes of its predecessors. So let's get going this week with some music from the soundtrack of A Star Is Born, with this one from Lady Gaga.
2: But on the sky, burning in your eyes. You look at me, babe, I want to catch on fire It's buried in my soul Like California gold You found the light in me that I couldn't find So when I'm all choked up again This
3: way, Lady Gaga, isn't she brilliant? From the movie A Star is Born, the 2018 version, and always remember us, it's simply beautiful. I'll have more in words. And song from a star is born. Round about this time on late lunch tomorrow afternoon. Killian Curran. Hello, Killian. He's from Kells. He's eight years of age, and he wants to congratulate the Mead ladies on a wonderful win. He's so proud of them, and proud you should be, Killian. Good man yourself. And uh, let's pass on Killian Curran's good wishes to the women, the ladies of the Mead senior football team, who won the Division One title yesterday to add to their All Ireland victory. we were speaking to Orla Lally earlier on on the show final break of the day on this monday afternoon on late lunch and next up we're going to hear a story of real good emerging from tragedy Uh, Gary Costello, Canis Bennett and Michael Harrington are spearheading a drive to teach all sixth class students life-saving skills in the trim area, should I say. And he joins me on the line because this story uh, began back with a bike ride in March 2021. Welcome to the show, Gary. Gary, thanks for having me. You were out in March 2021 for a cycle uh, with Stephen Leonard.
6: Correct. Yeah. Uh, basically, the four of us always used to cycle together, and 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 many miles that we travelled not only around County Me but all over the country, and went as far as New York and participated in a few big events over there. Four hundred k wouldn't be a uh, wouldn't be uh, like us not to do it, you know, on, on a mm-hmm. cycle. But uh, just one one uh, March Sunday morning last year, we went for a gentle spin. We were heading over to a uh, shop in Clemesson for a cup of coffee. It was during lockdown and unfortunately Stephen took sick while uh, in the middle of the ride right, he just said he had a very bad headache. Uh, one thing led to another and uh, Stephen took ill. We got him off his bike, lay him on the road and, and we found that he had some difficulties to start administrating CPR. Rang 999, defibrillator was unseen and everything and everything was tried and helped to... Uh, Stephen back, but unfortunately, Stephen passed away on the day.
2: Oh my
3: god, such a tragedy! And as he said, a gentle cycle, and a fit man who looked after himself, only 54 years of age. Wife Jackie and daughters Lucy and Sophie, it's just unimaginable, unimaginable isn't it? What happened?
6: Yeah, look, absolutely, it's something that will always stick with the, the three of us uh, that, that, that morning. Uh, what we went through, uh, people always say, You must have been shocked and stuff like that but we weren't I have to say Canus, you know looked after one side of the thing I yep. did another and Her- Michael did another thing and we all had our parts to play in the morning but just unfortunate that things just didn't work out for Stephen on the morning and mm. uh that's where we're spearheading what we're trying to do at the moment.
3: You did everything, as you say, immediate CPR, the defibrillator was there, 999 on the sea quickly as well, and nothing could be done. But this has led, as I said a few moments ago here in the show, to some real good coming out of this, and a a great initiative, may I say. Tell listeners what you're
2: doing.
6: Well, we tried to make, after a conversation with Stephen's wife, Jackie, and his two daughters, we felt we wanted to give something back to them as a family because we were out with them that morning cycling and we wanted to finish that that cycle uh together and hopefully kind of raise some money so we came up with the charity cycle on the May Bank holiday mm. and we have a, a slogan called the big heart cycle and we've tried to spearhead it in three different ways family business because steven was a very prominent family within the leonard family within yes. Trim for the, for years and a very prominent businessman. And then we want to educate because Stephen's wife is a teacher and we try to see what we could do to bring education to uh, young people.
4: Mm.
6: Now, when you look at the communities all around, we all we, have, we should be so grateful for the GEA because the GEA go out and sponsor or, or raise money and they train their volunteers to have defibrillators on walls. And we were lucky that they had done that. Like, yes. And we, as a group we knew some of the CPR and I did a course afterwards for cohort training in Trim who's actually come on board with us and, and they're supporting us in our ventures. But we want to, not in secondary school, but in sixth class primary kids, that we want to teach them the basic knowledge of first aid from everything from burns to assessing the situation to CPR. Like, if you're a parent out there, how many times have you told your child to, like, if something happens, what to do? We don't because we just, we're just we not taught it. Yes, We want to teach age group from 12 to 13 to 14 that basically, if something happens within their home, maybe a parent, maybe a grandparent, or even a, a fellow sibling, brother or sister, or out in a group of a field mm-hmm. and they're horse playing, that they mm-hmm. can assess the situation, that they can take a pulse, that they can ring 999, that they can be cool, calm and collected. Mm-hmm. And that's all happened by training. Yeah. So our aim is to raise some money, some, for some vital funds for the Irish Heart Foundation, some local charities, but really is to educate the 6th class students firstly in St Mary's if we get enough money in we hope to do all the 6th class students of Trim County Mead very good because it is the heart of County Mead and Stephen was a very proud Trim man Mm. but then we want to highlight it at a level where we turn around and say look we're given every tool possible in primary school secondary schools this is something that is life saving this is a life skill that can maybe determine someone's career choice they might want to be a doctor or a nurse or they could have an incident in their life where they can rely on this training and say i was trained i can do xy and z and hopefully the outcome will be you know a positive one yeah and it's not a big ask from like i know we're in a recession and we're going into one or whatever, but, like, this is a life-saving skill. Mm, and I, Stephen's legacy could turn yes. around and have this. I,
3: I, I really like this because it's been left to transition here at the moment. But you're right, when a child, you know, is about 12, 13, 14 years of age, God, they have a range of skills anyway, and this is just another another of them. And I commend St Mary's in Trim with the pilot project and your ambition to have it all uh, across trim at, at the sixth class level and then beyond that hopefully this can really take legs I, I, I certainly believe so it would be and it is it's a great memory to Stephen as well this new initiative so the the, the the Stephen Leonard memorial cycle is happening on the weekend of April the 30th and May the 1st the bank holiday where can people get more information about that event?
6: If they go onto Facebook it's a Stephen Leonard memorial cycle they can drop us a, a line and if not Every business within Trim has been phenomenal to supporting us so far. Yeah. They all know about the event. They all, so there is easy ways to access information about this event. Uh, thankfully, you are helping us, The me, Chronicle, are helping us. And I think the one thing that's really pushing us is they all agree with the, what our aim is, and yes. that is to train the sixth-class students.
3: Yeah, it's great. And, and funds raised on this day has all been, uh, is partly, partly, I say, been pushed, is it, into uh, developing this initiative? Correct. The, Very the good. Funds,
6: the funds raised on the day will be the Irish Heart Foundation. Yes. Uh, again, we have to pay thanks to Dunderry uh, A D group who were so good on the day to have it there in working order. Yes. So there'll be a few funds there, a few local charities within Trim. Very good. Uh, but the rest is all going to this pilot scheme that we want to highlight what we believe that should be taught within schools.
3: And, you know, it's only when you need it you realise how important it is to you. A few years back here in the studio, the boys came in when we had guests and they showed me how to do it. And believe it or not, within a month, I had to use CPR on a person who collapsed. And, you know, to teach children from that young age, introduce it to them, it's a terrific concept. And I believe you're really onto something really important here. Well done to you all.
6: Thank you very much. We appreciate
3: your time. Not at all. And good luck with the uh, event itself over the bank holiday weekend. And we watch this space. Keep us posted anyway about how this is going, won't you? Please do. Thanks for joining me. Thank Thank you, Gary. Gary Gary Costello there joining me tragedy Stephen losing his life in March 21 and look what's coming out of it now something really really special is happening and I commend them once more anyway that's almost a lot on late lunch uh, this afternoon thank you to you all who've been uh, in touch with me on the show and just a message there Uh, coming in from a listener today delays in in the center of summer hill we believe there's a lorry broke down there causing big traffic delays center of summer hill to be avoided thank you for letting us know always give us a shout if you come across anything 086 1800 658 by whatsapp or text get straight to the presenter here in studio now tomorrow on late lunch tuesday what's happening identical twins Patrice and Anita are joining me. They're part of a project and have been for years about twins. We're going to hear all about it. You can't tell one from the other. I have to tell you. Tony Conlon. We're on the road with Tony. He'll be reviewing his latest. Mark Father Paddy Rush. Before he gets into the busy phase of the Easter season, is having a chat with us on the show. We have your two on Tuesday. One special to me, I have to tell you. It should have been number one. And I go back, of course, to A Star Is Born Again tomorrow. And talking about stars, Brian Farley, thanks a million for guiding me. Brian will be with me this week on the show. And thanks to Louise Walsh, who puts this show together. My producer with me every day. Couldn't do it without you. Anyway, Eddie Caffrey's coming next with The Drive. Stay with us here on LMFM Radio. See you tomorrow, 1.30
0: the late lunch with blackstone motors draw dundalk and
3: Kappen. check out the new sporty and spacious renault arcana in petrol and full hybrid Guaranteed delivery low ap or finance and 48-hour test drive visit blackstone hi i'm
5: daniel founder of pretty litter